Our scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 18, and we'll begin at the uh, 18th verse, Acts 18, verse 18, and I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross, to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me add my welcome this morning to Holy Trinity downtown, and uh, I'm also looking forward to this afternoon at 2 o'clock for uh, Sully's ordination. Thank you for that heartfelt prayer, Karen and Heino, and uh, I'm going to read a little more of the scriptures here. We had a little communication problem, so the text goes through 19, it's not your fault, Somehow it was misprinted, so keep reading in chapter 19 with me, okay? And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the island country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, then, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said John was baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. 
This is the word of the Lord, still, again. Uh, We're going to be looking at, my apologies, we're going to be looking at verses 22 of chapter 18 all the way through the end of uh, verse uh, 7 in chapter 19. So we won't spend very much time on Paul and his haircut, but uh, we will spend time on verses 22 and following. Uh, I'm excited about the, the city opening up as well. I don't know that we're going to do this, but in my mind, this is what we're going to do next week. And this is not a promise. This is just like a thought experiment, okay? Uh, Wear your masks to church next Sunday, and then we will have a mask flinging ceremony, okay? In order to celebrate the last, uh, the release from the last 14 months or so. So I can't promise that, but that's what I'm hoping is that... uh, that as the restrictions are released, that we, and that's not to be in defiant, defiance of uh, any of the protocols, but more to celebrate that we're coming out of something that has been a tremendous challenge um, for everyone. And that's just a very superficial aspect of it. But um, all of us have been through something extraordinary in the last 14 months, and we want to acknowledge that. Um, We've never done a mask-flinging ceremony before, by the way. This would be the very first one that we've ever done. But we have also never been through a global pandemic before, so. Um, We're in a series called To the Ends of the Earth, and if I asked you how far away Jerusalem is from Chicago, would you know how far approximately? My, uh, My Googling says... 6,182 miles away, which is pretty far. Um, The circumference of the earth is about 24,000 miles, so that's coming a quarter of the way around the world. If if, uh, If we had gone any farther, it would be halfway around the world. And I mention that because the the thesis of the book of Acts is that the love of Jesus is so deep and so broad and so generous that it needs to go everywhere. That it has a historical beginning, which is a real concrete place called Jerusalem. And that Jesus had this vision that his love would basically encircle the entire world. It's a place in Habakkuk where it says the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters fill the sea. And Jesus, in the beginning of the book of Acts, has this vision that his message of forgiveness, his message of the anointing of the Holy Spirit will be so powerful that everybody will want to hear it and that the need is for it to go everywhere. And I say that because in our text today, we come to what might be called the third missionary journey. There are three journeys in the uh, book of Acts that are Paul essentially going out to tell as many people as possible that you can be released from the, the bondage of our sin and be born anew or be born from on high in such a way that you can live a, a new life, uh, of not a perfect life, but a, a productive life 
for God. And so in Acts 13.1, Paul and Barnabas are sent out, and for two chapters, 13 and 14, you have the, the first missionary journey. And then after that, in chapter 15, you have the, uh, the, the great council that happens um, in Jerusalem. And then from there, you have, and, and that continues the second missionary journey all the way to chapter 18 and verse 22. And then verse 23 begins the, the third missionary journey, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. I just want to ask three questions of the text today. One is, what's the aim of the church? What's the aim of, of, of mission in, as you look at the Apostle Paul and what he's doing? And secondly is, how does God go about fulfilling that mission? So verses 22 to 23, are. I'm just going to focus on the aim. And then verse 24 to the end of the chapter, focus on what, how does God fulfill that mission that he has? And then lastly, where does the power come from for the mission? We pray with me. Lord, we humble ourselves today in our own weakness, in our own feebleness, in we pray that you would open our eyes to this word, to your law, that we might see wonderful things in your scriptures and in your text. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So the aim, the manner, and the power for Christian mission, both locally and globally. The very first thing I want to say is that God uniquely gifts the church with one particular aim. God uniquely gifts his people, I should say, to strengthen both local churches and to strengthen disciples. That's pretty simple. But if you want to think about what is the overall aim of what Paul is doing, he's hopscotching around Asia Minor in order to strengthen local churches and to strengthen the disciples. You see that in verse 22. It says, when he had landed at Caesarea... To me, it sounds a little bit like he just got off the airplane. Here he is at O'Hare. When he had landed at Caesarea, this because Luke is Luke loves the the maritime imagery. This is you can almost picture Paul pulling up to a dock and uh, de, uh, deporting from the the boat. He had landed at Caesarea. He went up and he greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch. Antioch is important. This is this is called Antioch of of Syria. This is important because this is where all three missionary journeys had come out from. What Luke is wanting to show is that this, this movement goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so the headquarters for New Testament missions is actually not Jerusalem, but is this global city called Antioch, which was extremely diverse. People from all over the world had come to to Antioch in this kind of Roman colony. So Paul is reporting back on what had happened uh, on his missionary journeys. Some of you grew up in, in, in the church and some of you did not. If you did not grow up in the church, you missed the opportunity when missionaries came back to see their slideshows of where they've been and, and, and what has happened. Now you just have to watch, look at Instagram, and you know where they are and what they're doing. But the Apostle Paul comes back, verse 22, and he begins sharing what happened uh, through his missionary journeys. And then 23 is really him setting off again. After spending some time there, he departed, and he went, went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, and there's the phrase, strengthening all the disciples. Now, you might if you read it as a modern reader, it, it may seem like, Paul, why are you just 
hopping from one place to the next. Our, we have a more settled version of what our mission is, that people are in one place and they build a church and stay there for some time. The Apostle Paul had a particular kind of gifting that is listed in Ephesians 4. There, there are five gifts that are listed in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, which are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. That was pretty fast. It spells apest, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And the apostles in particular are people with the gift not of strengthening a church, but strengthening churches. So there's different gifts in Ephesians 4. Some are, think of an evangelist as somebody who's really eager to go out and tell people the good news. Think of a, a, a prophet as being the kind of person who teaches in a way that it feels like you're getting electrocuted, kind of. Somebody that just speaks very powerfully with the Word of God. A shepherd is a person who, they just gather people. People want to be around them, and, and they, they, you feel strengthened by them. So the Apostle Paul has the gift of apostleship, which is strengthening various churches, and so he's moving from one place to the next in order to um, strengthen churches. And John Calvin argues that there are sort of three offices in the church. It's a little bit distinct from that. But one of the offices, he says, is the office of a doctor. While pastors and elders and deacons are local, he argues that a doctor is somebody who is also to strengthen people in other contexts as well, with a writing ministry, say. And so, so some of the way that we do our ecclesiology, actually, as a church, is we focus on the local church, but we also believe that God has given gifts in order to help strengthen churches across the world as well. And so we work with a, a wide variety of people. This is like a summary verse, verse 23. There's a bunch of them in the book of Acts. For instance, at the end of Missionary Journey 1 in 1421, uh, it says that it just it kind of summarizes in the same way. It says that Paul comes there and he begins strengthening people again. And then it also says when they had appointed elders for them in, in every church... After prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. In other words, when Jesus envisioned his ministry expanding across the globe, he also envisioned, you could call them little cells, of self-organizing, self-perpetuating, self-propagating mission stations that are called churches. And they have local uh, lo local groupings of elders. There's a guy named Ori uh, Brofman who wrote a book called The, the uh, Starfish and the Spider, and it's about the power of decentralized organizations. He uses the example of Wikipedia, which he went and visited the office of Wikipedia, and it was like six people in an office in this. Like Everybody's heard of Wikipedia, but nobody knows that it's just a few people, and everybody is everybody globally are the people that are building what Wikipedia is. The imagery of Starfish and the Spider is that if you cut off the, the leg, sorry, this is a little graphic, if you cut off the leg of a spider, it won't grow back, but if you cut off the leg of a starfish, it will grow back. And the idea is that, that decentralized organizations have this ability to continue to grow, and Jesus' mission grows through this decentralized manner. But the Strengthening churches and then strengthening disciples there. The word there for strengthening all the disciples 
is uh, a, a Greek word that just means to cause someone to become stronger or more firm. And then it says it's used, this is the dictionary definition, it's used in connection with people's commitment and resolve to remain true, especially in the face of troubles. I love that last part there, especially in the, in the face of troubles. And the idea, the, the root idea comes from like putting something firmly into the ground. Picture a tent peg going firmly into the ground. In other words, what is the mission of the local church? It's to drive the roots of a disciple so deep that they can withstand the trials that are to come. Or picture a, a, a fence post. Like if you drive a fence post in the ground, sometimes they pour cement around it in order, in order to hold it. We've had three fires at our house. None of them are my fault. But uh, one was the dry, one was inside, two were outside. One was the dryer caught on fire. It was very dramatic, I'll tell you the story later. And then two were outside. Uh, one day I came home from the office and our entire back fence had burned down, in including all the garbage cans were melted down to like two inches of plastic or rubber. And uh, we didn't know why. We were like, what? This is a mystery. Until one night, uh, a couple months later, it was raining, and we heard these very loud popping noises. Our, our back window looks out to a gas station, and there's this uh, utility pole that is not a 90-degree angle. It's not perpendicular to the ground. It's like leaning like this. At the bottom of the utility pole, I kid you not, there were 8 to 10-foot flames just going whoosh, whoosh. And I have lots of superpowers, so I ran outside, knocked on the knocked on the uh, the door of the gas station, and they're like, to this day, me and this this guy who works there have this special bond because we were both like trying to put out this fire. Call the fire department; they can't do anything because it's an electrical fire. Anyway, eventually, that fire went out, and Comed eventually paid us money. Which thank you, Comed. But that pole in our backyard, in our back alley, still is leaning like this. I called Common like three times. The pole is leaning. They're like, "Sorry, it's going to be fine." I've had people stand there, and I'm like, "Can you see the angle? It's like leaning like this." And they're like, "It's fine. Don't worry about it." That's not the kind of stature of people. Sorry for the illustration, but I want you to picture the disciples of this place being rooted in the ground in a way that withstands the storms that are coming. So that's the aim of the church, is to strengthen the church. That's the aim of the Apostle Paul's mission here, is to strengthen the church, to strengthen the disciples. And the way that that happens, you see in the next little section here, where, Apo where we meet Apollos, and I'll just introduce you to him here. So if, first of all, God gifts the church for the aim of strengthening disciples, his means for strengthening disciples, and this is just review for most of us, but it's in the instruction and correction of the word of God. Strengthening disciples is the aim, but God's word does that. Look at verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a uh, an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. There's another version that says mighty in the scriptures, which is a great description. And this actually also goes back, this verse 24 goes back to 
that thesis in chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon the disciples and that the gospel is going to grow. So geography quiz, where is Alexandria? A couple people whispered in North Africa, in Egypt. It's the seventh largest city in the world, the third largest in Egypt, and uh, it's actually larger than the city of Chicago is. It's a If Athens was a place of learning, so was Alexandria. Alexandria had the largest library in the world. Philo came from Alexandria, and the Septuagint, the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, came from Alexandria. But what the author, what Luke is doing is saying, look, the promise of Jesus is happening. That the gospel is spreading from Jerusalem. There's three continents that are sort of connected right in, in Asia Minor. You have Europe and then Asia and then Africa. I believe actually God chose Jerusalem in part because it was a spot where the gospel could just go from. And here it's now coming into Alexandria. And this guy is mighty in the word. Verse 25, it says, it's, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And part of what I want to point out at this moment is just that what God does in the book of Acts and, and today is that he, he gives gifts to the church, all kinds of gifts, hospitality, leadership, administration, in order to build up the body. And this is a gift of teaching. If Paul has the gift of apostleship, and strengthening churches, this man is given the gift of teaching. Verse 25, he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke and taught accurately concerning the things of Jesus. So far, so good. But as with any startup, uh, of course, things don't go perfectly here. It's a little humorous. I think Luke kind of has a little glint in his eyes. He communicates the next thing. He spoke, accurate, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. We'll get to that a little bit later in the next little section. But here he is preaching and teaching away. And then verse 26, it says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. I love that part because, it, I mean, if I was Luke, I might want to just skip that part, you know. But he's saying, hey, the mission is messy. He's saying that it involves everyone. Now, I don't really know what this looks like. I don't know. Maybe you can picture it. How does that work exactly? Like, they hear him preach and teach. They wait for him, like, at the door. And then, hi, that was a great message. Thank you so much. Could we go for a walk? Do you want to, could we just go and talk a little bit? It was a great message today, but uh, you kind of, you missed some things. Um, there's a different, there's, yes, you got the baptism of John, right? Excellent. But there's actually another baptism, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism by, by water. And uh, part of what I'm saying is it takes all kinds of people to build up the church, not one kind. How would you think of the, the way that, that modern Protestantism, modern evangelicalism works, where pastors build platforms and the platform becomes a pinnacle and then the pinnacle makes that person untouchable and then here comes a great crash. Like I love Apollos for listening to this woman 
and this man who come and, and say, you know what, you, you got a couple things off. I was at a conference once, and I heard a, a speaker, and, uh, and he got some things off a little bit. This is John Piper, for real. Afterwards, I, I went and talked to him. I was like, yeah, you know. <laughs> and my colleagues are like, oh, my gosh, like, what, what is John doing? I'm teasing. But I've gotten letters from people saying, I feel like you missed this part of the truth today. Somebody wrote to me, didn't like an illustration. There's like, come on, give us the word of God, please. But that's actually the body working together. See, what we tend to think is, no, I can't, I could never go and talk to someone and correct them. And you don't want to be quarrelsome, of course. But this is how the body is supposed to work, where people say, you know, and I think I might need to do a little bit of instructing there. The way that the, the, the aim is to strengthen disciples, but it's everybody. And we all have to pitch in, and, and uh, Apollos here stands corrected. And then some people actually think that he didn't understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit fully. And that God anointed him with the Spirit from here on out. Verse 27 to 28. When he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. I love that. Look how redemptive that is. They didn't give up on him. Hey, let me write a note for this guy who humbly receives instruction so that he can keep growing as a leader. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those through grace who had believed. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4 tells Timothy that he wants him to show his progress. Not perfection, but show his progress. And that's what the gospel does for us. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by scriptures that Christ was the king. So the mission is really the aim is strengthening disciples, but this point is saying, yes, it's through the word, but it takes everybody. Everyone has to be involved. And I just, I'm going to do a, a brief parenthesis here because there's so much chaos uh, in, our, in our social media world about men and women's roles in ministry. And I just want to make two real quick points here to draw two, out two truths. One is that men and women are both equally created in the image of God. Um, Genesis 1, 26 to 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And male and female, he created them. And there's some language today that is demeaning towards the, the, the status of women. I actually think women are the pinnacle of creation. They're the, she's the last one created. And when Adam sees her, he... His breath is taken away. This is now at last flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And he sings a song. And Apollos is, is corrected by a woman here. Uh, so I, I really want to affirm the equality of men and women in every way. But I also want to affirm what might be called the distinctive glory of men and women. Our culture today also, on the one hand, it, it is 
one faction has a hard time understanding how men and women can be equal. On the other hand, there's a part of our culture that wants to make men and women interchangeable. And what the scriptures say are that men and women are not exactly the same, that there's a distinctive glory, that the heavens have a distinctive glory and the earth has a distinctive glory, that the, that the sun and the moon have distinctive glory, so to speak, but they're not interchangeable with one another. And what the part of the message of the scripture is that men and women are gloriously created in the image of God and also have distinctive glories as well, and we have to hang on to both of those. I'm not going very deep into that, but I just want to state that because I think it's beautiful that Priscilla and Aquila challenge Apollos at this point. So let's not dis- diminish the distinctive glories of men and women, but also let's not, distinct, let's not diminish the equality of men and women. I'm happy to talk more about that later. If you want to go for a walk with me, uh, you're welcome to. So let's aim to strengthen, and let's do it by the means of the word for everybody, but also we, let's rely on the, the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a great quote by uh, Leslie New, Newbegin that I read this week, which says, In sober truth, the Spirit himself is the witness who goes before the church in its missionary journey. The church's witness is secondary and derivative. The, church, the church's witness, insofar as it follows obediently where the Spirit leads us. That may not be how we normally think of our life and the way that God works, but, but the book of Acts is written to say, no, the Spirit is in charge of the mission. And we follow the Spirit's mission. And so it's critical in this last little section that these leaders... Uh, who are listening to the message know the fullness of the Spirit. So this third little section, I'll just put it this way. God is committed to the Spirit-empowered deploying of his people. God is committed to the Spirit-empowered deploying of his people. And you may feel like, I don't really know what it is to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a promise as we, in, a, in a moment when we close related to that. Verse 2. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I personally think this is hilarious, this next statement. I mean, hilarious because it's so tragic. And they said, no, we didn't even hear that there was a Holy Spirit. That's like alarm bells going off. Who taught these people? Like, you, oh, you forgot a little part. You forgot the third person of the Trinity. Uh, Somebody really didn't do their job in discipling these folks. Who was teaching Sunday school on that day? I think it was you, Joel. Was it you? Just kidding. So Paul goes to clear it up, and he says, Then into what were you baptized? They were not baptized into the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and they say into John's baptism, which is a baptism of repentance, verse 4, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is, in Jesus. Now, many people think these guys are actually not yet. They really didn't fully know about who, who Christ was and may not have been Christians. But what happens then is the Holy Spirit comes on them, they begin speaking in tongues, and they begin prophesying. And again, this connects back to the thesis of this book, which is the Holy Spirit comes upon you and, and you become witnesses. If you remember at the beginning of Pentecost, they all start speaking in tongues, and, peop- and people are like, are these guys drunk? What's happening? And they say, no, it's only 9 o'clock. They're not drunk. But then they quote Joel chapter 2, Peter does. 
In Joel 2, listen to this, listen to this word and let it be for you. In the last days it shall be, declares the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. The new age of the gospel is not an age of the anointing on just a few. It's not an anointing on just one part of the religious elite. It's for everyone. He is for everyone. God is about the spirit-anointed deploying of all of the people of God. I'm just going to close with uh, uh, this quick story from Luke chapter 11. Imagine a friend comes to you. Jesus tells this story. I'll modernize it a little bit. A friend comes to you. Actually, you live in a condo. So they push the buzzer. And it's like the middle of the night, 2 a.m. And you get up. Who's there? It's so-and-so, your friend. Do you know what time it is? Yeah, I know, but I had some friends come came to town, and I didn't have bread for... You shouldn't eat bread anyway, so that's good. Uh, now, and they push the buzzer, and the friend says, you know what, leave me alone. I got to get some sleep. I have a project due tomorrow. I have the presentation. I need to get some sleep. I'm sorry I can't help you right now goes to get back in bed, and the other person is just standing there pushing the buzzer. (laughs) And what Jesus says is that at that point, the friend will go and give bread not because of the friendship, but because of their persistence, basically. And that's that moment where he says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. And then he says this. He says, he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him instead of a fish a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Holy Spirit give? Sorry, will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so I just want to close with the power for this mission is in us, is the Holy Spirit, And the New Testament picture of the filling of the Spirit is not only one filling, it is multiple fillings. So then in Ephesians, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled continuously with the Holy Spirit. Let's make it our aim to make strong disciples. Let's do it with everybody pitching in through correction, through teaching, and let's do it by the power of his Spirit. May we all do our part. The word has come 6,182 miles from Jerusalem to Chicago. Let's let it go three inches more into our hearts and another block into our neighborhoods for the glory of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, help us to walk by faith as you walked with us. We pray, O Lord, that it would be your voice who speaks through the scattered disciples of churches all over Chicago until your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. We pray this in the name of Christ.